You are listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Lempster. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. I went through a phase um, of my Christian walk and my walk with God where, for some reason, I just wanted to cry. I wanted to have a feeling, a sensation, an emotion from the Spirit that led to something physical, that led to something visible that people could see, that I could see, that we could measure easily. And I went through a stage where I kind of wanted that, but just it never happened. Just nothing seemed to ever get anywhere. And then a few years went by where I realized that actually the issue wasn't so much not getting enough emotion, but there was too much emotion. I realized very quickly that the reason that I wasn't feeling what I felt God had for me was because I wasn't willing to go deep into the issues that were in my heart. I wasn't willing to go into the sin that I was entangled in. I wasn't willing to go deeper into the issues and the attitudes in my life. But over the past few weeks, something's changed. And I don't know, don't know if it's the case of I've now got three daughters. Um, I don't know if, if, if it's the case of I'm just really tired. But anything will just, at the, at, in a second, just set me off. No idea. Could not tell you what it was. Um, and the first time it happened, I was driving to school, driving to work, and listening to a preach or song. I can't even remember what it was. And just for some reason, the picture of Paula, my wonderful wife, worshipping just got me. And I was blubbering. I was just streaming down my face, and I was about a kilometre from work. <laughs> Cut country roads. <laughs> a blubbering wreck is not the safest place to be. But I do not know what it was. It just broke. And then since then, there have been random moments where I've just found myself just kind of just struck, just hit. By, by the need to cry. What was it? It was, um, it was worship a few months ago, wasn't it? Worship a few months ago. There was a, a song that we did, um, Song of Ascent. It was just a picture of God. It says um, the joy that God has when he runs towards us, when he realizes that we have even an ounce of wanting to be with him, he then runs completely without any embarrassment, without any shame. He runs straight towards us. The moment there is a desire in our hearts to know our Father God, he runs completely. He gives up everything. He gives up his own um, predispositions, his own who he is to come and be with us. And that just broke me. A few weeks ago, I was in a different church. Um, I knelt down at the front because I asked for people to come forward for ministry and stuff. I went to the front and, you know, feeling fairly chill, no issues, um, knelt down. And then suddenly they started singing uh, just the, the word holy. And again, the, this, the moment the person started singing, I was just blubbering. I was a wreck. And I cannot tell you what it is, but there is something happening that I have no control over. But it is a wave that I need to catch. There is something happening in your lives there is a moment in your lives when God brings a wave that we have to catch. He will bring something different, something new, and you will have no control over it. All you have to do is to steward it well. 
It might be a desire to pray. You might be the kind of person that's been wanting to pray well your entire life and you just never really had the self-discipline or whatever it is to do that. God might be encouraging you into a season right now where he's just saying to you, kneel down and pray. Don't matter when it is, just kneel down, just do it. God might be encouraging you into a season of hospitality where you're inviting people around your house. When you're not quite so worried about the state of your kitchen or the state of your living room, but you just know that you need to serve people around the table. God might be leading you into a period of evangelism where you've been dying for years to speak to certain people at work or your family or to challenge your whoever that you know of about why they're not back in church anymore, why they left church 20, 25 years ago. God's going to be leading you into spaces and opportunities where you're not going to worry about the things that you used to worry about. He's going to move you into a space where you can have those conversations with fluidity, without any issue, without any shame, without any embarrassment, and you can speak clearly with hope, love, and joy into those people's lives. We strike when the iron is hot. But it comes because we are able to listen to what the Spirit is saying. It comes because we're able to sense what the Spirit is wanting to do. And we, we respond with obedience. The three words that have built this church over the past five years have been obedience. <laughs> <laughs> obedience, overflow, outreach. There we go. I knew it. Obedience, overflow, outreach. The first step in any Christian walk is obedience. Because the first thing we have to do is come under obedience and say we're sorry for all the wrong in our lives. But we never move away from that. We never step away from obedience where we just get to run our own lives. We get to walk the way we want to walk. We get to go the way we want to go. The Christian life is one purely of obedience. You don't, you don't get promoted away from obedience. Some of you might be thinking... Obedience sounds like a really foreign word. And anything, anything that sounds foreign is because you don't, we don't practice it enough. It's foreign because it's not part of our habitat. It's foreign because it's not part of our environment. It's not part of our ambient location. But there are people here who, when I say the word obedience, they are like, yeah, I, know, I know the price of obedience. I know what that means. There are people who measure obedience not out of, okay, God, I'll give it over to you, but they measure obedience in pain. They measure obedience in suffering. They measure obedience in giving up what it is that they've dreamt for. They measure obedience in putting everyone else first and themselves second. And that's a biblical thing, not just being, not just being a walkover. They measure obedience in years spent in hope. If we measure obedience purely in terms of joy and success, if we measure obedience purely in terms of miracles, then we are missing the mark. There are, there are histories, there are stories, men in the Bible who were obedient but never saw success. Not only did they never see success, they only had suffering in their lives. You look at almost any of the 12 apostles. They saw healing, but at the end of their lives, they became martyrs. They died for the sake 
of the cross. They died for the sake of being obedient, even to the point of death. They didn't see what Christianity became. They didn't see the hundreds of thousands of people get saved. They became obedient. They went after the one. They went after the individual. They went after the heart. They went after the soul. They went after the mind. They didn't go for the crowds. They didn't go for the audience. They didn't go for the platform. We often miss obedience because we're looking for success. I don't mean success as the world measures it. I mean success as you measure it. There have been moments in your life when you know for a fact that God asked you to do something and you did not follow through. Likewise, there are times in your life that you know that God has asked you to do something and you know for a fact that despite the cost, you follow through. But every day we have the opportunity. What are we practicing? Are we practicing obedience or are we practicing disobedience? My girls are a perfect picture of this. Um, I'll give you a somewhat example. Um, so in, I think, one of these boxes for the kids' work, they have a whole load of scissors. And we've spoken to the girls about getting the scissors out first thing in the morning without anyone else around. They're often here, you know, to be fair to the girls, they're like often some of the first here. They'll put the chairs out, they'll put the banners up, they'll put their signs up, and, you know, they're church planting duo already. Um, I pray for them, please. We need some more. Um, and... I think at one point someone had kind of set up the children's work area and there were all these scissors and kind of bits and pieces around. So despite us saying to them, don't play with the scissors without anyone else around you, they were happily cutting things out, stenciling around. And um, I think we said, we said to them, girls, you know you're not meant to do that. And their response was, but no one told us not to. And we said, no, no one was there by your side at that moment telling you not to do that. But we've spoken to you before. We've spoken to you at home. We've spoken to you in the car. It doesn't matter if we're not right next to you at that moment in time. You knew what we wanted. Just because you might not feel that God is right next to you right now does not excuse you from walking in the promise and the hope and the obedience that he has called you to. Lack of relationship, lack of perceived relationship, is not excuse for lack of obedience. Husbands and wives, you're not faithful to each other simply because you share the same house. I'm hoping if one of you goes for a weekend away for work or goes for a weekend away with something else, it's not suddenly, oh, we're not close to each other, we can do whatever we please. Proximity is not the reason for obedience. We are obedient because of love. I'm faithful to my wife, not just because I'm close to her, but because I love her. And that love 
overcomes distances, overcomes barriers, overcomes boundaries, overcomes walls and trials and challenges and tribulations. And God calls us into the same love with him. Do you only love God when you feel close to him? Do you only love God when you think your life is going well? Do you only love God when you feel that he is calling you into something that's going to be cool and successful? Are we only faithful to God when we feel it's going to end up well? Are we only faithful to God when we feel there's going to be some modicum of positivity on the other side? God has called each of us here to love. God has called each of us here to love. You might be feeling a million miles away from God right now. You might be feeling that God isn't even on your radar. You might be feeling that God isn't even there. But that doesn't mean you can't love him. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. You see, it's often the distance and the lack of proximity that proves the love. When me and Paula were dating, people often said, how did, you do, how did you do long distance? How did you make that work? We were dating two years and a bit before we got married. Two years before we got married. Only nine months in the same country. And it wasn't that it was just a case of I'm only going to love her when we're close. The reason that lasted, the reason that happened was because of love despite the distance. Love despite the lack of proximity. So this is where we're going to go today. Over the past few weeks we've been talking about holiness that God is different, set apart, pure, and holy. That because of who he is, he has called us to be holy, set apart, different. He has called us out of the world to be different, to look different, to act different, because he has chosen us and he loves us out of the world for himself. He has devoted us to holiness. He has devoted us to righteousness. So because of that, there are certain things that God requires of us, certain things that God wants of us, if we are to live out that different life. Now, do not hear me wrong. Living out that different life does not get you chosen. Living out the different life does not get you chosen. It's the other way around. You are chosen. If this morning you love Jesus, if this morning you know God, if this morning you know of God, then you have been chosen. If the question of faith is a question that is pertinent to you, do I even believe in God? Then yes, you know God. Because that question is not even possible if God had not revealed himself to you to put even an ounce or a mustard seed of faith in your life. If you care about the question, then God is on the scene.
So kind of, we're going to be using, there's a chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 13, which sets out a, a few ways. It's by no means an exhaustive list, but a few ways that we can live out this different life in response to a holy, loving, set-apart God. Now the first line of Hebrews 13 first line of Hebrews 13 says this, keep on loving each other as brothers. Keep on loving each other as brothers. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And sisters. <laughs> if I'm going to love you just like a brother, it's going to get very painful very quickly. The kind of working title I kind of looked at for this was Up Close and Personal. Um, and just by way of um, disclaimer, um, if you feel offended at any point during this message, um, just hang around till the end because no doubt we'll all be offended by the end. Uh, so don't feel left out. to pray a lot this morning. <laughs> <It's> very, <yeah. laughs> Thank you, Reuben. Yeah, Reuben's got the idea. Brotherly love is to be offended. So, uh, can I get a couple of volunteers, please, to read out some Bible verses? Um, can I get someone to read out John 13, verses 32 to 36? So, John 13, 32 to 36. Um, can I get someone to read Acts 2? 42 to 47, Acts 2, 42, 47, volunteer, if not I'll start poking, uh, Chris, thank you, two more volunteers, yeah. Tina, Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4, and then one more volunteer, sorry, Mike, uh, John 17, 20 to 23. So just to go through those again, we've got John 13, 32 to 36, Acts 2, 42 to 47, Philippians 2, 1 to 4, John 17, 20 to 23. So I've got those four. Sorry. Uh, so first off, yep. Thank you, Ash. Acts 2. And I continued steadfastly with the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers. And we 
same kind of song every Sunday, and many wonders and songs were done by the apostles. And all those and all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted from and parted them to all men, as every man had need, and they continually daily with one cause in the Thank you, Chris. Uh, Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Thank you, Tina. And then Mike. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Holy Spirit, let these words imprint in our hearts. God, they're not just ideas, they're not just thoughts or concepts, but God, these saturate, they flavor that our hearts may marinate in these words, in this truth of yours, Jesus. No matter the cost, no matter the hurt, no matter the, the sacrifice needed, God, we pray that our lives become devoted to your teaching this morning, Jesus. Amen. That they may know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That the world may know that I am God by their love for one another. The world doesn't know Jesus because of a university lecturer preaching about Jesus. The world doesn't know about Jesus because they saw it on a poster or they saw it on a Super Bowl advert. The world doesn't know about Jesus because of people riding around on horseback. The world doesn't know about Jesus because of books, preaching, podcasts. The world doesn't know about Jesus because of an excellent Sunday service. The world doesn't know about Jesus because of a fantastic evangelistic strategy. The world knows about Jesus because of the love that the church has for one another. How much do you love the person sat next to you? 
I mean, Levi and Caitlin and Eve. It's not in everything. Um, that picture of the world only knows Jesus because of the love that we have for each other versus maybe what we live out on a Sunday does not match up. It doesn't match up. We've only got a few minutes. So I'm not going to beat about the bush this morning, guys. Church is about the gathering of believers. The very word church is an organization. It is an institution. It isn't paid people versus unpaid people. It's not professional Christians. The word church always, ever meant the gathering. The gathering of who? The gathering of those who felt unified and who came into, u- into a un- united front because of their love of Jesus. Their love of Jesus pushed them into love for the other. Their love of Jesus pushed them into love for the other. We live in a world, we live in an age, secularism, which makes the private the sacred. We live in, a, we live in an age right now where the individual is sacrosanct. Where what I say goes, what I feel goes, no matter what the cost to other people. People bend over backwards to accommodate the needs of an individual. There are culture wars going on at the moment about the meaning of individuality. There are culture wars going on at the moment about what the world sees versus what is reality. And those do not always match up. The church is a place where those who are part of it are gathering in unity to worship Jesus and to love each other. We don't just come to church on... Sorry. Church was never meant to be just a place to come and worship Jesus. Church was about gathering around the teaching, the preaching, the bread, the wine, the communion of faith. It was about sharing life. It was about sharing faith. It was about sharing hope. It was about sharing love. Church today is very much, very much a case of I have found a church I like that meets my needs at a time that I can get up for in a place that I can get to with people who I kind of get along with most of the time so that I can sit down and enjoy a decent cup of coffee and leave when I need to. That has become the sum of church nowadays and that is generous. For many people, church is simply a time and a place that I walk up to on a Sunday morning and leave. For many people, church has zero bearing in their life outside of a Sunday meeting. They might profess to be a Christian, but church is no longer the place of gathering. It's no longer the place of love. It's no longer the place of sharing. Church is merely the place of being served, of receiving. You will hear people saying, I got hurt by the church. You did not get hurt by the church. Name and shame. 
Who was it? There is no unpersonal church. It doesn't exist. The church without people is nothing. There is none. You've got people who say they're Christian. You've got people, you've got friends, you've got family who say they love Jesus, who say they know God. But they do not set foot in church because church has hurt them. Because church isn't for them. You might have had a gap year from church. You might have had a bit of a time off from church. Maybe you were hurt. Maybe you didn't get on with the teaching. Maybe you didn't get on with the people on the uh, coffee team, on the coffee rotor. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're the type of person that sees church as a place where you get to do and do and do. Church is a space for your platform to be in front of other people. Church is a place where you get to be your best and show your best so other people will value and appreciate you. Church is a place of striving that becomes strife. Church isn't about being around Jesus as much as it is about setting up a TV that it doesn't show cooking programs on a Sunday morning. Church has become about, do I get to put my ministry before men? I've been doing worship for a long time now, a lot longer than I'd like to say right now on on a mic. (laughs) Actually, about 20 years. My days. 23 years I've been doing worship. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It doesn't look it, I know. (laughs) Oh, my days. Actually, the first guy that got me into worship is um, Ash Phillips there. Ash Phillips, um, he was leading kind of a small youth group. Um, so our, our youth group was quite large, so he did it in groups. And he was like, yeah, Jason, do you want to lead worship next week? And I did electric guitar. And the story goes, he said, do you want to lead, le- lead worship on electric? I said, yeah, okay. So I rock it with my little 13-watt Marshall amp, my black and white Stratocaster, covered in stickers. And I started playing the first song, Blessed Be Your Name. So here I was, an 11, no, it would have been 12, 12 year old kid with an electric guitar doing this. Beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful until they realized I wasn't going to sing. <laughs> so it took them about half a song before someone actually put their hand up and said, Jason, can you sing so we know where we are? Never have I been so scared in all my life. All my days. The youth group had a lot of grace that night. Lessons were learnt. But I've been around worship for a long, long time. And the worship rota is a very sanctimonious thing. You found out who was the lead vocalist. You wouldn't say lead vocalist, but you could see who the favourites were. You could see who the A team and the B team were. But what would happen is that over time, you'd have people that would, would have been in church every single week for years, some suddenly become part of a worship team. And after a few months, you'll notice they'll only start to come on the Sundays that they're singing, they're playing, or they're involved in ministry. The weeks that they're not on the rotor, they're not in church.
one of the biggest reasons I've been so, I've hated the idea of doing a rota is that very reason. You are not here simply to do, to perform, to serve, or to function as something. You are not just the function of making coffees. You are not just the function of playing guitar. You are not just the function of opening the door and welcoming people in. You being here is important. You being around church, around the fellowship of believers is important. I would much rather have you here, involved, engaged, and loving than doing something here, 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 and only being here because you think that's what you need to do. You are not here to be a minister. Be careful in my words. You are not here to do. You are not simply here to be a missing part in a mechanical thing on a Sunday. Someone here has likened church to a bit of a circus. There's a group that turns up early, puts up all the chairs, puts up the sound equipment, puts up the, the presentation equipment, does all the music, does all the talking, does all the grandstanding. People come, people sit down, people listen, people watch. They go, the same team, then pack away at the end of the day, and we all go home and do it again next week. That's only a slight exaggeration of what can often happen in many churches. Thankfully, we're not in a position where there's a paid person here that you can say, it's all your job. <laughs> Thankfully, we're not in that position. Um, we're in a position where every single person here has a role and as a minister is here to serve, but not serve just by doing, but serve by being, to serve by loving, to serve by praying, to serve by interceding. You are part of this church because God has placed you here. You were put in a place amongst the people with a plan to fulfill God's purpose. This in itself is not church. When we put our arms around each other about half an hour ago and prayed for each other, that was church. That was church. Wednesday evening, I'm not saying every Wednesday evening, but Wednesday evening, when we all started talking about Abraham's faith and about how our lives should be naturally supernatural. That was church. Church is when you're driving home from Worcester and you realize, oh, we're right next to this person's house. I think they could do with some prayer. Let's pop by. That's church. Church is when you invite someone around for, for, for a tea and coffee, not to talk about what was on TV last night, but to talk about the sinners in their life that they need saving from. Church isn't about coming to turn the kettle on. Church is about being hospitable so that we make people feel welcome, so that we can deal with the issues in their hearts and their souls. So that we can be ministers of grace, ministers of a new promise, ministers of a new covenant. Each of you has a gift from God for the upbuilding and the edifying of the church. 
Each of you have something different, something special, something holy, something supernatural that only you can do. Anyone can put a kettle on, I think. Anyone, I can pay someone to come and do this stuff here. Yeah? We can hire some musicians, give them some songs, off you go. And there are churches that do that. There are churches that do that. Well-known churches that you probably respect, people who you've probably heard of, who you've got books of in your bookshelf at home, that do that. Because that bit in itself is not church. Church is about the building up into the unity of faith. That they may be, I think it's Ephesians 4, that they may be built up into the unity of Christ. You build up to that. You mature into that. You don't mature into your own little thinking. You don't mature into your own theology. We mature as a church into a unified body that represents Christ. And as a body, we are all members one of another, one of each other. Which means that, I'm not saying week by week, I'm not saying this Sunday, but when we do gather, I'm not just saying Sunday, but when we do gather, you, your absence matters. Your absence ha- shouts volumes. Why? Not because, oh, he can turn the kettle on now. Ah. It matters because there is a voice inside of you, there is a heart inside of you, a gift inside of you that no one else can fulfill apart from you. At the moment, um, Ken's got a dodgy, I was going to say me, but I was going to say, I'll go, I'll go with you, Ken. Ken's got a dodgy, um, I was going to say dodgy bum. That's <laughs> what he said earlier. Um, a dodgy leg. Now, it's not as if when Ken walks, it's just his leg that is out of kilter, out of place. It's not just that he can walk perfectly fine with one leg just doing this. Yeah? If you've ever had... Your leg, your knee, your foot, your back go out of kilter. The whole of your body is now out of harmony with itself. When one part is missing or hurt or damaged, the whole body feels it. That doesn't mean you chop it off. That doesn't mean you get rid of your back. That would be pretty spineless. Um, Sorry. But it means that it's the rest of the body that needs to give attention to that member that needs to be restored to health, that needs to be restored to vitality. And that only comes through Jesus. The back cannot make its back well. It requires something else to come in. And that something else is the spirit, is prayer, is intercession, is fasting. It's care. It's preparation. In and of itself, it's not this. It's a text during the week. I notice you look pretty down on Sunday. How's everything going? And then when they say it's all okay, you just say, no, it's not. Don't lie to me. I'm not your friend. That you can just say it's all okay. I know full well what's going on in your face. We're family. We're family. 
We are part, we are adopted into a faithful family of believers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I always used to laugh at Paula's church, the, um, her, the church she was at for most of her life. Uh, they always just call each other brother and sister. I was like, that's really funny. And actually, I get that now. I get that. Because it reminds us who we are in Jesus. It reminds me of the place I have in your life and the place you have in my life. The importance and the level of input that I should give to you and receive from you. It's not here as if there's like a... It's, church is not hierarchical. It's pretty flat. It's not like there's a kind of, some kind of Ponzi pyramid scheme going on. It's, it works like this. There's God, Jesus, and the church. That's how it works. God and Jesus, the church. It's not as if there's like God and Jesus, pastor, apostle, teacher, prophet, the church, kids minister. (laughs) That's not how it works. All of us are saved into a flat structure of church family. No one is more equal than others. But this is where the love hurts. The love hurts, and this is where it's going to start getting awkward, because the love hurts because you would so love, you would so love to say to someone, you're in charge, you do it. It's your responsibility. It's your calling. Why don't you sort it out? I've had, and we've only been in church for five, six years, and I get people who ask me regularly, Jason, what's happened to this person? Jason, what's happened to that person? Why have they left? Why are they unhappy? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? As if somehow I have control over people. I'd love to. As you can see, I'd love to have control over people. (laughs) Yeah, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Um, But church is not about going down to the lowest common denominator and finding the person who will just bear the most weight. That is not, that's not what church and serving and ministry is. Every single one of you is a minister of a new covenant. I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, 4 or 5, talks about ministers of a new covenant. It's not just apostles because they're fancy named. It's not just pastors because they've got a, you know, they've got a title too. It's not just paid people. It's not just trained up people. It's not people with a degree or PhD at the end of their name. It is the name that you have is Jesus's because you have given your life to him. You will serve him with all your life, with everything you have. And so because you serve Jesus, you love the church. Because you serve Jesus, you love one another. Because you serve Jesus, you will give your right kidney for the person right next to you. Anyone here need a kidney? I'm not joking. (laughs) When was the last time you fasted for someone in church? 
You didn't just fast because you wanted a spiritual revelation. When was the last time you fasted because there was someone in church who needed to see breakthrough in their life? When was the last time you sacrificed something? Not just because you wanted to see a breakthrough of something in your life, but because you knew there was someone else in church, a brother or sister, who needed something else, who needed that support. Or what, are you hoping there's like a pastoral team that goes and does house visits? If you're hoping for them, the answer is, you're it. We've changed the way we do, the way we do. Our Wednesday meetings, our Wednesday gatherings, we've tried, quite, we've tried to change around to kind of make this a little bit more organic and make it a little bit more helpful. So we used to do every single Wednesday at our house, which is great, Bible study, fantastic. Study of the word, that's better, a Jesus study. But we've changed it now to once a month we do weather spoons. Once a month is free. That free month, that free week, isn't for a woohoo, can go to bed early. It's not like a, you know, it's not a free as in you don't get to do church that week. It's free as in please meet with someone from church. Talk about something important. Talk about something that matters. Pray for each other. Break bread together. This, we're going to be taking communion in a bit. Communion is not something that someone who's trained in being, I don't know what you call it, some kind of, sorry? Ordained. That thing. You don't need that. That's not what it means. If you love Jesus, if you've given your heart to Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then you have as much right as anyone else to deliver communion, to give communion, to partake in communion. Timothy tells us that we have no mediator except Jesus Christ. We don't need a bishop. We don't need a pope. We don't need a PhD. You don't need training. You need faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only thing you need. That is the only qualification there is to be a minister, to be a pastor. Each of you has the authority to speak into other people's lives, to speak love, to speak joy, to speak truth, to speak hope. Now here's where, here's where this can get really awkward because many of you in this room disqualify yourself from seeing the Spirit work through you. You disqualify yourself through low self-esteem. You disqualify yourself by saying, I cannot do that just like that person does. I can't pray like Levi does. I can't lead a group like Reuben does. I can't do worship like Sam does. I can't see visions like Mandy does. And even if I did, I've got so much going on in my life that I can't even think about what God is doing or who he is. I'm hurting too much. There's no way God's going to ask me to do anything in church. 
There is no way God's going to ever use me broken, hurting, blackened, bloodied, bruised by all the attacks of the enemy in my life. So we disqualify ourselves. When God has said go, when Jesus has said their love for one another, we then say, yes, but. And we read off a reel of reasons why we cannot do the simple command. Love one another. I can't even love myself, God. How on earth can I love, can I love my container? You guys are pretty lovable, by the way. <laughs> that wasn't... <laughs> God, I'm taking pills to make it through each day. How on earth am I meant to tell someone else that Jesus is all they need? I can't make it through this week without finishing off that bottle of wine. How on earth can I tell someone they need to stop looking at porn? I can't even get myself out of bed on a Sunday morning in time. How can I tell someone else that God's got a life for them of prayer, of intercession, of, a sacrifi of sacrificial giving? So here's, here's where the magic happens, guys. By speaking into other people's lives, God convicts and brings the, the idea of sin in your life so much more contrasting than it would be otherwise. It's really easy to forgive your own sin when you're not actually in community with other people. It's so easy to think that we've got it all together or that we can hide it. We can kind of stay away in the corner. We can come into church on a Sunday, listen, to, listen and do everything that needs to get done, go home again, and hopefully no one's noticed the huge gaping sin that I'm carrying with me. This is ultimately why I believe church has got where it's got to. We've already heard this morning that we are so afraid of change. We are so afraid to give up our sin, to kill the flesh on the altar of sacrifice, that as a result, we fail to do community well. We fail to love each other. We fail to serve each other. We fail to minister to each other. Often, Low self-esteem excludes you from giving sacrificially as the focus is on our own lack rather than Christ and his provision. Now, I'm not saying here that self-esteem, things like mental health and all that, are not, I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm not saying they're not bad things. I'm saying that despite those things, you can still love. Despite those things, you can still have faith. Despite those things, you can still give. You can serve. Christian community is based on God's grace. That no one is perfect. Yes, you might have something in your life that is seen as a, a boulder, a barrier. 
so does everyone else. We come into Christian community through obedience, not through qualification. If you think God's called people because they don't seem to have any issues, then you are selling yourself short of what God has got for you. Sometimes the people who seem to have it most together are the ones that have just got great at hiding it. And if you're hiding it from people, you are one of the loneliest people in the room. James 5 tells us to confess our sins to one another. One of the earliest church teachings, the didacti, didacti, didact, says, as part of your weekly worship, you are to confess your sins to each other. Why? Because it's great to get a bit of gossip on the next person, isn't it? It's great to feel better about yourself. If you're living in community, we confess our sins because it realizes that none of this happens because of what we do. No one has control here apart from the one person in the room that matters. And his name is Jesus. You might have issues. You might have issues that everyone knows about. Everyone has issues. Everyone has a reason they would be disqualified from any form of church. Every leader has a reason why they would be disqualified from being a leader. But we have the one thing that qualifies us. And that's a calling and a command from God to love each other. That's what qualifies you. That's what gives you permission. That's what gives you authority. That's what gives you responsibility. To speak life, to speak hope, to speak love to others. Realizing that it's not by your work, it's not by your effort, it's not by your striving, but it's by the grace and the Spirit of God working through you. Just to finish off, there's a book a few years ago called um, Social, just called Social. And it was an Oxford study done on the effects of social privation in our lives. What does, it, what does that mean? It means it's a study on what makes us connected. The summary of the book is basically we were made and we were wired for connection. What they noticed is that any exclusion from a community or for a group, from a group of people is as painful as having any physical pain, i.e. losing a limb. That was their words. The social pain of being excluded or being not part of a group is as painful as physical pain. Now, when the Bible says we are members one of another, 
That wasn't because Jesus was just trying to find a nice picture. It was because that is how we're wired. We are wired for connection. We are wired for community. So when you exclude yourself or when someone excludes you, it is painful. And so many of us here right now are feeling pain. And we think it's because there's something individually wrong with me. There's something individually wrong with my life and my hurts and my dreams and everything else. Yet we fail to remind ourselves that God has saved us into a family. Often, hurts are made worse by taking them alone. Hurts are made worse by facing them alone or in isolation. If you're hurting this morning, if you're in pain this morning, if all your outlook for the years ahead is bleak and dark, God has saved you into his church for a reason. To be around people who will love you like a brother, who will love you like a sister. The challenge isn't turning up on a Sunday. The challenge is being present for the people in this room that need it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another and the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You might be in a position where you have to ask forgiveness to someone or to other people because you have failed to love them. I have failed to love each of you the way I need to the way I should do. There are a number of you who I know with my heart that I have not reached out to, that I have not spent time with, that I have not prayed over in the way that I should do. Not just because I'm pastor to the thing, but because we're brothers and sisters. So we're going to take communion, which is a common union around the life of Jesus and around the faith that he brings. So as communion will be served, I'd like you to come up, grab a glass, grab some of the bread, and you're going to sit down with other people. This isn't just a you and Jesus thing. This is a community thing. Get into groups, more than just two or three. And I want you to pray for each other. I want you to open your hearts to each other. Or we need to talk about the things that matter. If that leads into coffees and teas, great.
been an absolute service to you guys.